Well, if we could, we're going to all come back together. Come back together. Tonight's service is going to flow just a little bit differently. Um, we're going to talk for a few moments about this idea of our family table. Our family table. Um, Luke chapter 22 is where you can find me tonight. We're going to begin reading at verse 17, Luke 22. Uh, we're going to be re- begin reading at verse 17. It's a very familiar passage and a very familiar, uh, very famous table that we see them gathering around here in Luke 22:17. It says, after taking the cup, uh, Jesus gave thanks. Uh, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you, but the hand of but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the, the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them might be who would do this. Also a dispute, a dispute, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be the greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors, but you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest and the one who rules like the one who serves for who is the greater. The one who is at the table or the one who serves? It is not the one who is at the table, but I am among you as one who serves. Something about the family table. uh, And what makes the family table very interesting is the kind of family you have. Um, I, I love big family reunions, and I love uh, when, when my family comes together. On my mama's side, that's the, those are the ones that were kind of born in church, raised in church, all that kind of stuff. On my daddy's side, uh, not so much. So on, 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 on those reunions, and when that family comes together, it's always exciting because it's always some drama, nine times out of ten, right? You always got an uncle that maybe drinks so much. You got a cousin that's not too sure about their sexuality. You, you've always got just interesting elements that you just never see on the Christian side. And that's why I love it. I love it so much. I love it when the family table comes together because it's really exciting. And what really encourages me about what could seem to, me to, to, seem to be to me a dysfunctional family sometimes is to look at Jesus and his family and see a little, bit, a, a little dysfunction as well. So for those of you that have dysfunctional families, the scriptures are going to really help you tonight. You're going to go home and be like, we ain't that bad. All right? Check it out. Here Jesus pulls together and his family, who he's called to be his disciples. Jesus uh, and his 12 disciples, they're coming together. And Jesus, who started as a young man, knowing that he was called to do something great, knowing that he was called to do something significant, knowing that it would culminate in the cross. Here, Jesus, now, with the cross, just few verses in view, beginning to really get sobered up by the reality of what he's about to do. 
He's knowing that this is the last time that they'll sit down and have dinner together as a family. This is the last time that he'll drink of this cup. And him knowing that the cross is right around the corner, him knowing, as a matter of fact, right after this, they go and he goes and he prays and it says he prays so hard so he begins to sweat blood. He, he began to agonize in the Garden of Gethsemane, the place of pressing. He began to be pressed because of this great weight of the cross. And watch what happens. Now, now you have to understand the context here. Jesus was considered the king of the Jews and the king of kings. And the disciples all this time, and even the people in the community, were always hoping that this is going to be the ultimate restoration of, uh, of Israel. They thought that this is our king. He's finally come. We're going to take over the Roman Empire. We're going to take over everybody. And we're going to have a big king. They were expecting a king with a castle, with maids and everything like that. And many, many times they just kept getting into it because Jesus kept talking about this kingdom, this kingdom that was going to come, and this kingdom that he came to establish. And they're just like, oh, man, he's doing miracles. He's doing all kind of cool stuff. But when we get in the castle, it's going to be on. I mean, it's going to be on and popping. And so they, they they get into these little, these little tips where they be talking about, well, I'm, I'm going to sit on the left hand, and no, 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 I'm going to sit on the right side, and I'm going to have this maid, and I'm going to have the little cute brother, the little cute blonde as my maid, and I'm going to have this, not so much, maybe not, but a little embellishment, but, but they're, they're always talking about their placement. Their, their priority, their rank. Who's going who's to have the most influence when Jesus sets up his kingdom? And many times, many times he has to say, no, 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 no. My kingdom is not eating meat. My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know it's going to be great. It's going to be big. But they just didn't get it. They walked with Jesus, but they still didn't get it that he was coming to set up a kingdom that was way bigger than anything they had ever seen. So here it is, Jesus on his way, about to go to the cross. He's having this final moment at the table with his boys. I mean, they're having that moment almost like when you get ready to graduate college, that last conversation before graduation, but instead of getting a diploma, you're about to get a cross. You're about to be crucified. So Jesus is sitting there, and he's sharing his heart, pouring his heart out to them about what's coming, and this is our last meal, so take this. This is my broken body. This is my stuff. And finally, he's about to go to the cross, and he overhears them talking. And it says a dispute broke out among them. Here they are. Jesus is about to go to the cross and they start a fight. They start a fight at the dinner table and they're going back and forth and they're saying, I'm going to be the greatest. No, 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 no. I'm going to be the greatest. No, no, no. I'm, I'm going to be the greatest. I'm going to be up there. I'm going to be up there. And they still didn't get it. Jesus says, what are you, what are you talking about? Who's going to be the greatest? They've had this conversation before, and Jesus just goes off. It, it's almost as if he's taking his fist and he's slamming it on the table. He's saying, listen, the lords of the Gentiles, the, the, rulers, of the, of the, the rulers who will call themselves Gentiles, lord it over them. They, they call themselves benefactors. In other words, the, 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 the stuff that you're used to, the power structure that you're used to, it, it, it means that people take authority and they lord it over people. They set up a kingdom and they rule and they lord it over people. And they, they set themselves up as benefactors and they take advantage of people. That is not who we are. It's almost as if Jesus just goes off and says, we will not be like them. This isn't about you sitting at the table and having somebody bring you stuff. This isn't about sitting down and being a benefactor and just always getting everything. We're not about to set up a kingdom. It's not, about to, it's not about to be a left hand or a right hand about grace. This isn't what we're about. Here he is about to go on the cross. Here he is about to give his life. And they still, those closest to him, still don't get it. I'm about to die on the cross and you're trying to, try, you're trying to figure out who's going to be the greatest. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Unless you get this, 
You won't even get me. He says the greatest, the greatest is not he who sits at the table and receives. He said, he said who is the greatest? Who is the greatest? He that sits at the table or the one who serves? And while they're pondering, while they're talking that through, while they're trying to figure it out, he helps them and he answers his own questions. He says, but by the way, I came to serve. I came to serve. Friends, in the world that we live in, where it's all about sitting at the table and getting served, it's, it's all, I mean, it's all about it. And if we don't watch ourselves, we can even come in here to a place like Warehouse and sit down and say, serve me. Jeremy and the worship team, serve me. Pastor, preach, serve me. Greeters at the door, serve me. All core team, serve me. What we miss is this is the very fabric of our faith. We are all called to serve. It's a part of who we are, friends. It's who we are. And Jesus says, if you don't get this, you don't get me. We're extremely excited about having the privilege to worship together and minister together here in the warehouse. But if you think for a second that it's about you coming in and sitting down and watching some production, then you've got the wrong place. This is a place where we come together as a community. We come together as the family of God and we serve God through our life, through our gifts, through our giving, through our sacrifice. We serve as a family. So tonight we invite you to serve with us. Not only do we serve God, but friends, we serve each other. That's what Christianity is all about. I, I would be less than a preacher to, to talk about this idea of service and not take time to talk about what the church really should look like. Because unfortunately, we've got some very bad examples out there today. There are many people that are convinced that, 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 that church is like this big production center. You come in and, and church, it's almost, like, it's almost like, hey, I'm paying for a show. Give me the best you got. That's not this place. That's not who we are. Church is about humility, giving, sacrifice, and recognizing that in the sphere of it all, we're the small ones. <laughs> Put that on a, on a billboard. In the sphere of it all, friends, we're the last. We're the ones that are willing to step back and be second. That's what he wanted the disciples to begin to get. And friends, I think it would behoove us to get that tonight. As we gather around this family table, and as we take a moment of our service to literally, to literally execute the very thing that we're talking about, we've got some people that have been called to this idea of service. And they work and serve this community, not necessarily for us as much as it is with us. So we're going to have what we call a commissioning, where we take time, where we pray and pour into those that have been called up by God to serve with us in this warehouse community. And as we do this, I don't want, us to, I don't want it to become a theatrical production where we're just watching something go on. But as we commission those who have been called to serve so shall we sit and consider ourselves. Say, God, what is my commission? How is, how is it that you would have me serve? How am I using my life to fulfill the gospel that we see in Scripture? Father God, we thank you. We pray that this night would speak to us uh, as it is in different in structure, God, but we pray that the theme and the message would ring loud and clear. We are people who have been called to serve. 
Help us, God, not to miss it like the disciples did. Help us to hear. We're not called to sit at the table, but we are those who are called to serve. Amen. A new core team. Let's welcome them. Just when you think the drama was over at the table, it continues. John's version, chapter 13. John chapter 13. I'll I'll just pick it up at verse 6. It's kind of in the middle of the story, but I'll just pick it up there and explain. John 13, 6. Jesus is coming here. He, He says, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. Peter, No, said Peter. You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. So here at this family table, you've got the argument of who's going to be the best, who's going to be number one, who's going to be at the right hand, and all that stuff. And then you've got Judas at the table, who's been stealing the whole time, and just in a couple of verses is going to come and betray Jesus with a kiss. Now, Jesus is sitting there at the table knowing that all of this is about to go down, knowing that Judas is a traitor, knowing that all of this stuff is happening. But, Je- but Jesus gets up from the table, wraps the fabric around him, and he bends down and begins in an act of ultimate humility, begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, Peter, Peter, I love Peter. Peter is hilarious. Peter, if anybody, have y'all seen the movie, the movie Dumb and Dumber? Sometimes, listening to Peter, I think I'm right in the middle of the episode, Right? Peter admittedly at times just, he, he does not get it. But at the same time, he's a genius. He's the only one that was willing to step out of the boat. When Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? Peter had the right answer. He was like, we, you are the Christ. But then just a few minutes later, Jesus had to look at the same Peter and say, get thee behind me, Satan, I rebuke you. It's crazy. So he would go from one extreme to another. And here is one of those classic Peter moments. Peter says, I love it, it's hilarious. Peter says, no, Jesus, you, you can, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. you Jesus. I'm not about to, no, I'm not, letting you, I'm not letting you wash my feet. And then Jesus says, Peter, unless I can wash your feet, you will have no part of me. Listen to Peter's response. Wash my hands, wash my head, wash my back, wash my legs. Just give me, just wash me all over, right? And then Jesus, Peter, if you've had a bath, you don't need all that. <laughs> That's just funny to me. I, y'all didn't think it was that funny. I just think that's funny. You know what I mean? Peter is like, no, I'm not going to let you touch me. And then Peter's ready to just wash me up. Just give me a massage. Clean me all over. It's like Burke and Williams up in here, right? And then he's like, that, that, that won't be necessary, Peter. <laughs> just your feet, son. Come on. You know what I mean? <laughs> Jesus is teaching us, and he's trying to teach Peter. He's trying to give us a picture of the posture of a believer. 
He's trying to give us a picture of the posture of believer. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of washing someone's feet, uh, but I'm just, I'm just going to say I got, some, I got some jacked up feet. I mean, I got some rough feet. If we ever do type some type of spiritual service and we do foot washing in here, don't get close to me, I'm telling you. Whoever that guy is just got a rough job, you know. I, got, I mean, I have some of the worst feet. And I remember being at a time, and we were in this little men's deal, and they pull out the foot washing buckets. And some people don't sweat that, but I'm, I'm like the guy like, oh, my God. We got to do foot washing. Ugh. You know, because I know my feet are terrible, and they stink. I mean, it is terrible. So this guy was just washing my feet. And he was cleaning my feet. And I, I was so humbled at the experience. Just by, just by receiving it. I couldn't imagine how the poor boy felt afterwards. I had to take him. I was like, man, I got to take you out to eat or something, man. You, you, you got to wash your hands before you even shake my hand. That's how nasty my feet are, right? <laughs> it's the epitome of humility, right? Jesus says, that's who we are. That's what I want to do for you. Because you don't understand it now, but what I'm doing for you, I want you to go out and do for others. I want you to put yourself in the posture because I want your service to become sacrifice. I want your service to become sacrifice. Because Jesus would leave them. He would be convicted. And in a trial, where all the people, I'm sure people that he had fed in the, in the, in the feast of the 5,000, I'm sure people that he had healed, people that were blind and now could see, I'm sure many of them stood around when Pontius Pilate asked the question, what should we do with him? And those very same people shouted, crucify him! Crucify him! Jesus would then be marched up a hill called Calvary carrying what my grandmother would call the old rugged cross. There, after being whipped with the cat of nine tails, flesh literally hanging from his body. Many times we see these little cute pictures of Jesus, this white guy with his long hair with these beautiful blue eyes with a little spot of, of red right here that's kind of trickling down and a little spot trickling down and a little spot right here with a little cross hanging. A little, that is not the picture of the cross, friends. If you were to study crucifixions during that time, it was very brutal. As a matter of fact, our, our word excruciating comes from this word crucifixion. It was an excruciating experience. And Jesus knew that he was about to give his body literally to be broken for people like Peter. For people who didn't get it. For, for people like you and I. He was about to be broken and his blood was about to be shed. They say the blood just literally came streaming down. His service became the ultimate sacrifice. And that sacrifice was both for you and me. What does this have to do with us today, Albert, in 2008? As we gather here in the warehouse at 652 on a Sunday night. Friends, that call is still upon our lives. That call of sacrifice is still there and is still ringing true. And I'm wondering, do we have people like Peter still saying, it's not me, I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm not, I'm not willing to, to, to adapt to this new way. Uh-uh, no, uh -uh. I'm not going to let you watch my, I'm not going to participate and engage. Jesus is saying, unless you, can, unless you can drench yourself in this form of humility, you will have no part of me.
How this really helps me, y'all, is because sometimes I think as Christians we can become very arrogant in who we are and who our God is. As we live in a culture now that's searching for truth, sometimes we can come off as really arrogant about who we know to be the truth and what we know to be the truth and all this other. And sometimes it's hard for us to see our spirits fitting in this posture of humility. Did y'all catch that? It's hard for me to see our spirits and who we are, our nature, our attitudes, our personality, our willing and how we love and how we engage. And sometimes I struggle with seeing us in this posture of humility. Friends, God has called us not only to serve, but that, we, that our lives will become the ultimate sacrifice where we give our lives for him. This table, this table, this family table, although filled with drama, is filled with great significance. Because it's here we see the broken body of Jesus Christ and we remember, we remember the sacrifice that was made for us. We just didn't show up here with these privileges of walking in righteousness and truth. Friends, it was a sacrifice made. We remember the broken body and we remember, we remember the shed blood that was shed on, on, on Calvary's cross for a sinner like me. I love the passage that says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. I thank God for the drop of blood that dripped on me. Because when I was out doing my own thing, living my own way, Christ died for a sinner like me. So we come to this table not only to celebrate the community and the communion of other believers, but we come to this table to remember that we are here because of a sacrifice that was made. We are here because Jesus Christ gave his life. And Peter got it. It took him a while, but he got it. Because at the day of Pentecost, he stood and declared the power of Jesus Christ, and thousands came to know him. So we come together today as a family, and we come and we center at this table, remembering the broken body of Jesus Christ, remembering the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and also remembering the posture of humility that comes with this table. We remember the posture of humility that comes with this table. There's no such thing as an arrogant Christian. We walk in utter humility. In a total act of service, our life is to be put on display so that others may see the sacrifice of Christ in our lives. What a call. What a mission statement. What a challenging message. Not every Sunday we should walk out feeling great about ourselves. Did he just say that? Yeah, put that on the marketing card too. Not every Sunday should we walk out of here feeling great about ourselves. Because it's not about us feeling great about ourselves. I'm sorry, I grew up where my, my granddaddy pastored the church for 40 years. And there were some Sundays when I walked out of there overwhelmed with conviction. Not, not guilt, not an unhealthy, but that this, this word of God is a sword and it cuts like a knife. And every now and then we ought to leave this place cut. Every now and then we ought to leave this place convicted in remembrance of the sacrifice that Christ made and now my, responsi my responsibility to the sacrifice he made. The sacrifice that he made in my responsibility. How do I respond to such a sacrifice? challenge you. We respond with our life. The sacrifice of our life. 
So in a few moments as David and Kelly come, we're going to open up this family table. And we're going to come and celebrate the communion of this table. But in the midst of our celebration, with one breath we thank God for communion and community. And with the next breath, we in utter humility remember the sacrifice that was made and we own that. We sit in that. And we ask the question, God, how would you have me respond to the sacrifice that was made on the table? As you guys come, you can go ahead and start walking up. When Mama, when Mama cooked a, a fabulous meal... That meal, I mean, when it was, when it was amazing, when, that, when Mama cooked a fabulous meal, it deserved a response. She would lay down on the table and we would eat good. I mean, eat till we just had to be rolled away from the table. I mean, seriously, just, just we would go at it. And Mama, we, I mean, we would just thank her and love on her. And I almost would wash her feet too, but her feet was a little rough like mine. It's hereditary. If Mama deserves a response... Friends, this table that's been laid out for us today, it deserves a response. As we come, as we take of the broken body of Jesus Christ, as we take eat, we do that in remembrance of the sacrifice made. And as we come, we'll take drink, uh, we'll, we'll dip the broken body in the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ. And as we eat the bread and take of the, of the, of the, of the juice, the, the, the shed, shed blood of Jesus Christ, we do that in remembrance of the sacrifice made. And we ask ourselves, how do we respond to such a table that has been laid before us? As the new core team comes, we're going to serve you tonight. We're going to serve you. You guys can go ahead and start walking up this way. As they come, we ask you to break off the bread and to dip it. And then take, eat, and take, drink. And we're doing this in remembrance of him. However, I would be remiss if I would not warn against, as Paul does in the scriptures. If you happen to be in this room, and you say, tonight I'm just, I'm just kind of here, I'm just checking this out. And there's sin in my life. And when I leave this place, I have every intention to continue in that sin. I would encourage you to let this cup pass by. I would encourage you to let this cup pass by. This is for the community of God. And we welcome you to partake of the greatness and the sacrifice that has been made. Come, let us fellowship one with another. Father, as we come now, we pray. That as we partake of this table, that we would remember your sacrifice. Not only that, but God, we would take time and reflect in our own lives and ask ourselves the question, how would you have us respond to such a great sacrifice? And to God, to our dear friends who may be just guests with us in this great Christian community and not uh, having come to a place to where they're really ready to turn from their ways. God, we pray that even during this time of communion that you would speak to them. God, it's our desire that no one would feel alienated throughout this time of the service, but that your spirit could speak so softly and so sweetly like it always does, God. So we pray as we come together as a family that we would experience you. In Jesus' name, amen.